Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. So Eternal seems like the kind of movie where like once you see it, you can't stop talking about it. And Dan and I, the second we got on the like Zencaster to do our recording, like pre-talk or whatever, I was like, we got to start. Ta- we got to start the episode immediately because we're going to start talking about the movie. And then we proceeded to talk about the movie for five minutes. And we're like, no, 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 we got to talk. So we're not going to waste any time here. Dan, what is Eternals about? So then we can start talking about Eternals. That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you think what Eternals was about? <laughs> so Eternals is a Turtles? movie. Sorry, my, my congestion. <laughs> it's okay. I keep calling it Turtles too. <laughs> Eternals is an admirable attempt. And this is going to be a theme for we're doing a double headed recording today. We're recording this and then we are, in fact, recording for Dune. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I Multiple people ask me when I'm going to see Dune now, which it's horrifying that people listen to our show. And it's horrifying that people in my immediate life also listen to the show. Um, anyway, so Eternals, much like <laughs> Dune, is an admirable attempt to adapt difficult source of material to a, a film. This movie was... Written and directed by Chloe Zhao, who actually came to Marvel with a pitch for the movie. So this wasn't a situation where they just like looked at a bunch of different act, uh, actors, a bunch of different indie directors, and just picked one. Chloe Zhao wanted to make this movie, and I'm after watching, I'm kind of wondering why. So she wrote and directed it, and it also has a series of other filmmake uh, writers listed. Uh, there's a screenplay by, a story by and then adapted for screen by credit in the credits of this movie. And Eternals is based on the comic series from Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby was just really obsessed with weird space stuff, particularly he had a fascination with the ancient aliens hypothesis, which is a pseudo science conspiracy theory that posits that the reason why there's ancient civilizations with really advanced technology is because aliens came and gave them a technology yes that is where we get the aliens guy meme and the ancient aliens thing that that thing with that guy with the weird hair hair proposing (laughs) aliens for everything is actually is the inspiration for this comic series (laughs) and the eternals in the comics have a sort of famously convoluted backstory where they keep rebooting them to try and re-explain their backstory uh there was recently a critically acclaimed series from neil gaiman that and 
wasn't particularly popular with readers because the source material is still very strange. And it was rebooted again recently in the comics, which is kind of what this one is based on. But in short, Eternals are a bunch of aliens sent to Earth by the Celestials who to destroy another race of aliens called Deviants. And <laughs> I like that they kind of don't address the immediately problematic aspect which is that deviants are ugly aliens and Eternals are really beautiful aliens and the deviants are the bad guys. <laughs> and in the comics, there's recently attempt to change that a little bit where they like, oh, actually, Thanos is an Eternal, believe it or not. And sometimes Eternals are physically unattractive. In this movie, they don't even address that at all. They just, the deviants are just random dog creatures. Well, that's just typical Hollywood stuff. It's like, if you want to be in Hollywood and you want to be in a movie, you have to be beautiful. We can have multicultural stuff, but if you're not beautiful, we can't put you in this movie. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes. So the someone looked at that and was like, well, that's problematic. And so the Eternals, unlike their comic counterpart, which is they all kind of look the same, the Eternals here is a multicultural uh hodgepodge of actors and it's a great cast it's very star-studded it's you have Gemma chan you have kumail nanjiani brian tyree henry who's amazing is in this you also have kit harrington shows up as feature of white knight you have selma hayek you have angelina jolie so there's some real star power in this movie uh, richard madden from game of thrones is in this so yeah they did not and there's some legitimately interesting decisions made so like kumail nanjiani plays a guy who becomes a bollywood actor uh, while his comic counterpart was a guy who became like a Zorro type actor. You have, I think it's Lauren Ridloff plays a deaf superhero, which is kind of neat. But the problem is the movie is kind of a mess because it takes place over 7,000 years and they try to do a nonlinear storyline thing. And from here, it just becomes a mess. I'm not sure. Like I'm not, I'm even struggling to kind of describe what the movie is in theory about. Basically they've, they hit a point where they kill all the deviants and then they're just stuck on Earth. And so they try to have an existential thing where, like, what's our purpose in life? What are we here for? Go find your purpose. Yeah. What's the what's the value of humanity? Is humanity valuable because it isn't immortal, because it's fleeting, unlike us aliens who do not age? And then there's some conspiracy theory involving the celestials, which that stuff's actually interesting. I wish it was in the movie more because the movie's two and a half hours and not a lot happens. So, yes. That's it. That's the movie. <laughs> Anything more is te is technically a spoiler, unfortunately. So uh, that's the plot. And the, the root of the story is there's a romance between Cersei and Icarus. Icarus is a Superman type superhero played by Richard Madden. And they love each other across thousands of years. And that, in theory, also would be really interesting. But then we don't see it because they get <laughs> divorced for some reason. There's a scene in the movie when they're finally, yeah, they're, all the deviants are dead, which we don't even watch them like eliminate the deviants. We just sort of see like, that's what they did before. Like, this is their lore. And now they're, and then they're not dead. So. Yeah. And then they're not dead. So I guess they failed. And also, I just thought it was strange that like, it's like nine f heroes, but then the deviants are seriously kind of hard to fight against. And I'm like, are the deviants only attacking one location at a time on Earth? Because if... It takes nine of these guys to kill two deviants, and there's like two deviants on every continent fighting at once. I think the Eternals are going to lose. <laughs> like, you you have an immediate problem, which is uh, especially when you actually get into the backstory of the Eternals. But like the basics that we can just say up front is that the Eternals. They're not very powerful. 
And the deviants are very strong. So they don't explain this really well in the movie. I think you're supposed to believe that they default all have enhanced everything. Like they're stronger, faster, more invulnerable than average people. And then they all have like a specific thing. Like Brian Tyree Henry is like the Donatello. He does machines. He does the stupid thing I hate in movies when they the director has to say, just move your hands in a cool way and then we'll we'll make it mean something <laughs> in post. And it's just like and like he's like building a machine in this and looking like in one spot, but his hands are going all over. And like the animator, you can tell is like, dang, I gotta keep this object right here or else it's gonna look weird. It just looks terrible. I Stop doing this in movies. It looks so funny. So they have a they have a dual they have a dual mission. They're supposed to help humanity advance, hence why they have a machine guy who can uh help the technology. But not too more fast. Advanced, but not we'll too fast. Too fast. And so so they it's kind of a humanitarian mission in theory. Like they're supposed to they're supposed they're told they have to protect humanity from deviants and help them advance, which kind of helps make their powers specific sets make sense. Because oh, you have a mind control guy, you have keep coming back to the run fast thing. You have somebody who can run really fast, which <laughs> I suppose yeah, is helpful. It's just a power. <laughs> uh, you have yeah. Uh, Don Lee plays Gilgamesh, and he's awesome. Gilgamesh. Yeah, if you've seen like Train to Busan or anything, he's awesome in those movies. He plays a guy who's just super duper strong and hits. But like, yeah, like if you if you're making a superhero force that's specifically going to destroy deviants, wouldn't you give them all like a specific ability that kills deviants? Like, why does everyone? I know, like for writing purposes, and if you're making a superhero team, you don't want to give everyone the same powers because that's just boring. But why don't you just make like Icarus with also the machine and speed abilities? You know what I mean? Like, why don't you just yeah. make a team of Superman? Basically, I mean, from the start, the implication is that Eternals are sent to planets to prevent deviants from destroying them. So, yes, it's not spoilers to suspect that this is something that's been going on forever. And so you figure like Eternals being some sort of beings would be. Why would you make Sprite the way Sprite is? Like, what is the purpose yeah. of that? And they even lynched yeah. it in the movie where they're like, uh, I don't know why this Celestials made you to always be a kid forever and ever. And there's no reason for it in the comics either. Well, th- the reason, Dan, that they do that is so that we can think about real life and be like, oh, God, why did you make me the way I am? Oh, so, man. <laughs> so uh. the, the real reason is that uh, the part of the gimmick here, as you've, if you've probably ascertained from the character names, Icarus, Cersei, Thena, Gilgamesh. Oh, I have a list here. Can you name them all? This uh, is something I wrote out. Can you okay. name every character that's in this? Because it's too many. <laughs> you have Sprite, Cersei, Icarus, Gilgamesh, Thena, uh, Kingo. We're getting there, man. The speedster has a name that's supposed to sound like <laughs> the well, this, she has. She has. Um, it's not based on something like Mercury or something, uh, which is annoying. It's based on a different ancient mythological speedster. So I don't know that one. You have uh, Barry Barry Coogan. Oh, God, I don't know how to say his name. He's not Ezra Miller. Not Ezra Miller. <laughs> oh my gosh! You have to. Someone else even said the same thing. Uh, he has the mind control. I don't know what his name is. Oh, come on. <laughs> and Selma, Steve, Hayek, Selma Hayek is also in the movie. I don't know. 
There's two. I'm bad at character names. I say this every episode. And <laughs> I think a lot a, of people will be bad. It's a miracle these. that I remember this many characters. And the only reason I remember them is because they're the mythological creatures that I recognize. You've got four more. You and you sort of touched on three. That's as far as we're going. So, so you missed one. <laughs> there was uh, yeah, it's Ajax. Is Ajax. Yeah. yeah, mockery. So it was basically Mercury. You were there. You're like, ah, it's not Mercury. It's like, oh, you're close, man. Just say it like you don't know how to say it. Druig is Ezra Miller. Okay. And uh, Fastos is the last one. Fastos. But, yeah. Machines. Oh, Machines. Yeah. Anyways, that, that was the little mini game. The only thing I prepared. I have, <laughs> Wonderful. I have more, more stuff prepared, but yeah, but... So the, the implication <laughs> is because that they've been around so long that all of our ancient myths and legends come from the Eternals. Like they, because someone, yeah, someone, and but like it's cutesy because that's why they're just not right, you know? Because it's like Athena is Athena when the legends get told and retold and told. And so from Sprite, we get stuff like uh, Trickster Gods and Peter Pan, which they even mentioned specifically in the movie. And from Icarus, we get the entire DC Comics becoming canon in the the Marvel Cinematic (laughs) Universe. Yes. Because he looks like Superman. Both Superman and Batman get mentioned. And Batman get mentioned, which means that the DC Comics exist at least in this particular universe. That's a thing. That's a thing in the comics. In both DC and Marvel Comics, it's established that each one is a comic book company in the other one. But now it's official. Yeah. Which, hey, why not? Disney's already setting up for Spider-Man <laughs> being like, we're going to cross um, properties from other, um, from, I don't know, from everything. So why yeah. not? Let's get Batman in this. Robert Pattinson's going to show up. It's going to be awesome. A cute thing in the 60s and 70s Marvel Comics is they also, Marvel Comics also exist in Marvel Comics, except Instead of being fictional stories, they're like true tales of like the heroes. So in the backgrounds of some action scenes, you'd see a a version of Stan Lee just like in the background going, whoa, like running away. And then later <laughs> you'd, he'd have like a conversation with Spider-Man and be like, I tried to get your good side. Or well, whatever. that's here in this in this, too, because Marvel Comics is at least in um, the first Avenger. That's right. There you yeah. see that they're like the propaganda thing in Captain America. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Wait, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S., and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You He's want to me to... expand Cinematic Doctrine. You know right, this already. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, <laughs> I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can gain access to early uncut episodes of the podcast. 
Oh, and did I mention, you get to tell us what to do. That's right, each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Anyways, I gotta run, so I'll see you guys later. So, I mean, just to put it bluntly, uh, before we get into spoilers, I... I didn't hate this movie. Like I see a lot of extremely negative reactions to this movie. I was talking to a friend of mine who almost walked out of the movie because he hated it so much. But I, this is a really, yeah, it's a C minus. It's a definitely a swing and a miss. There's enough stuff in here. That's kind of interesting where if you're already bought into the whole comic book movie thing, I think you might enjoy it to an extent, but it's just such a mess. Like there's, there's no focus. It's, and it's all exasperated by the completely unnecessary, insane running time of the movie. It is two and a half hours. Yeah. Man, oh man, does it feel like a two and a half hour movie? And you could have easily cut 15 to 20 minutes out of this at some point, rearrange mm-hmm. scenes to make more sense. It's just, you're just left with this feeling of, I'm not really sure what the point of this was by the end of it. And then it's one of those movies where once you kind of get annoyed by it, then the other flaws become more noticeable another movie you could just sort of hand wave things away because well they're just trying to tell a fun story it's science fiction it doesn't always make sense or like whatever here and then when as you're sitting there in the movie it's you're hitting hour two you start thinking wait a minute (laughs) you start your brain starts working uh all the performances are really great all the actors are totally like they're totally in you know like angie jolie isn't like like giving a half-hearted performance selma hayek is always great Everyone's giving 110%. And there are some fun ideas here. I love all the stuff with Celestials. I think that stuff's really interesting. And there's nuggets of great stories in here, like a romance that traverses thousands of years, but two superpowered people who are bound by destiny and fate and essentially serving a harsh space deity they don't understand. That could be a really interesting story. It's a shame that that's not what the movie's about. Yeah. Or a movie about the superheroes in the shadows who've helped humanity advance for a thousand years. And they actually are the explanation behind all of our conspiracy theories or, and this is something they softened for the movie and its subsequent adaptions. But in previous comics, it's implied the Eternals kind of are responsible for most religions. And I can see why they wouldn't do that in a movie because that's sure. a problem, but that's also kind of an interesting idea. And, and all of that gets maybe 10 to 15 minutes of screen time before something else just happens. And they just move on to something else. The pace is horrible. It's just a mess. So I described it to Kat as like, this is a movie that starts talking about something, but before it can finish a sentence, it gets distracted by talking about something else. And it's all exposition. It's all exposition. It's and all then exposition. By the time you get to the end of the movie, you realize there was never a period. The, the sentence never ended. The new thing started and ended. Because this is, we've, we've been talking about characters in Marvel, but like the movie wants to talk about like worldviews, evolution, Ideas. independent yeah independence for uh free will um destiny romance love forgiveness time i mean but but like it all does it in the way that like when you when you're talking to someone who's young who's starting to understand the world and you endearingly listen to that person because you you care about that person unless it's somebody else's child and you've never met them before then you're like I'm going to go away now <laughs> but like cuz it's just so tiresome and boring but like that's this movie where it's like it's like someone just gave you like a Charles Darwin book and you're like wow this is fascinating but then you keep reading you're like wow this makes no sense <laughs> and it's a lot of theories and this is where like when one of our 
early things. And I even texted Dan this the second I finished watching Eternals was like, this was the exact opposite of Dune. And he's like, yeah, I thought the same Dune's thing. Dune's evil twin. And like yeah. <laughs> when Chloe Zhao had pitched this to Marvel, she had actually taken screenshots from Villeneuve's movies too. And um, and kind of use them to help pitch certain sequences. And then she had even said to Villeneuve during, a, I think it was a slash film interaction that she had with him, where she was like, Villeneuve has a way of making films feel tangible and real, even though they're always these otherworldly concepts. And this movie seems to want to do what Villeneuve does quite naturally, but nothing in this movie feels tangible and the mcu has never felt tangible nothing in the mcu has ever felt real that's why whenever the most fantastical stuff is embraced in a whimsical way it's quite exciting that's why thor ragnarok probably connected with so many people i didn't like it at the time i probably would like it more if i rewatch it but that's because that movie knows it's unrealistic and just has fun with it whereas eternals is like really really just like it is the um, Magician's Alliance of Arrested Development. It is, we demand to be taken seriously, but like, but nothing feels real or tangible. There's a scene at the end where like um, Cersei's hands are like on the ground because she just did something. And like, her, even her hands don't look like she's touching anything because of the way it's animated and the way that the scene is set up. But it's supposed to be a pivotal moment and nothing in the movie just feels like it's in the real world, but it wants to talk so desperately about the real world and basically things we're experiencing. I mean, this movie, literally one character's like, so Fastos's thing is that he can create technology and then give it to the humans to then help advance them or help secure them. But then like, <laughs> it's like Fastos gave up on humanity years ago. And then it like gives you that backstory and it just starts with Hiroshima exploding. <laughs> and so then it's good. like Fastos yeah. is there though. Like how did he get there? <laughs> and so he's just there. <laughs> and it's just like, this isn't the same franchise that is just constantly trying to make jokes about things at all times. And every joke in this movie doesn't land. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's it's not good. I found this movie really tiresome to get through. Uh, I was glad to have taken a blanket because I just sort of cuddled up and, and nestled in my theater seat because what else was I going to do for two hours and 37 minutes? And uh, yeah, man, when, when I asked you if you could explain this movie to our listeners, because I'm sure even they've seen it and don't know what it's about, because what is this movie about? Um, I almost felt bad, like I sinned against you, like, oh, I'm so sorry, <laughs> like, this is this is rough, because it's just like, as the movie kept going, even at the end, like, as it's trying to set itself up for future content, and old, arguably the rest of the MCU, and then even the stingers, I'm just thinking, like, what is, what is the point of this? What's going on? Like, well, that you- stuff seems way more interesting than anything that happens in this movie it seems way more interesting but like it's also just like it's not earned and the movie didn't want to talk about that stuff the movie wants to talk about philosophy and and the human value and life and the potential for creation versus creation itself and things like that but the movie just like does it with the mentality of a 14 year old who just got a library card. And it's just, I mean, the, the, the movie opens with Pink Floyd's time, which is like every great teenager. Song. I love that. song. It's a great song. Dark side of the moon is one of the best albums, but like every teenager has a phase where you're like, Oh, I listen to real music. This is the best album I've ever heard. Pink Floyd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I don't know, like from the start of the movie, even like it's opening title card, um, being like 
Blade Runner, of which the movie's first line is the final line of Blade Runner 2049. There's so much that like Zhao wants to do with this movie that references movies she loves. But they're like movies that came out in the last like five years. So it just feels like weirder. It just doesn't. I don't know, man. It's a mess. But when we get the spoilers, it gets even worse. It just gets worse. The minute this movie started with an opening text crawl, I audibly went, oh, no. (laughs) I would have gone, oh, uh, yes, if it didn't just explain the opening text crawl 10 minutes later. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, that's a bad sign. Kevin Chad just says it again. There's an opening crawl, and I'm like, good, just leave it at that. But then, like, 10 minutes later, they get into a fight with a deviant, which it's really funny how the deviant's introduced. He, like, looks at a puppy and then leaves. But but then Kevin Chad just, like, explains it to kit harrington later in the movie like oh yeah we've been here forever and we fight deviants and now they're all gone and it's like but the opening crawl just told me that (laughs) oh that's right you don't have a lot of scenes with kit harrington and he's one of your selling points for this movie oh that's right (laughs) it's he's in the character introducing so he could show up in other movies role uh which okay i'm fine with especially in a two and a half hour movie why not but the the thing that absolutely kills this movie dead is everything we're talking about would be a million times more like palatable if it all didn't exclusively exist in dialogue and if all that dialogue wasn't expositional dialogue where a character says i feel this way and here are the reasons why i feel this way it's like the movie has a personal like axe to grind with a concept of show don't tell where Mm -hmm. every scene is consists of a character going on on a five minute uninterrupted soliloquy about how they feel about the universe and their place in it and their purpose as eternals and what humanity means to them. And to the point where there's a specific moment in this movie where they reintroduce Kumail Nanjiani's character and there's a scene with him. And it was a complete breath of fresh air because I realized characters were just being themselves like nobody was talking at each other. They're just having normal conversations like people would. The dance sequence, you mean? Uh, well, that seems fun. But then the sequence on the plane afterwards where he's like he begins filming a oh, documentary. Yeah, where it feels like a Marvel movie. Yeah, Marvel feel- movies are Marvel movies are character movies. They're not about the world. They're not about other things like they are about characters. So that's why something like Black Panther works in how it's wanting to talk about a broader topic is because you have strong characters who maybe the world doesn't feel tangible, but the characters always do. And so when characters in Black Panther share about things that are painful to them, like Killmonger, you are connecting with Killmonger, not with the world they live in. And that makes it feel tangible and real, even though it's not. And this movie is sort of banking on the world being real and world building. I think I've read that... um, Chloe Zhao actually was really fascinated with world building as a concept. And like, that's great, but you're making a movie and world building doesn't really work in movies. Drama is what needs to really push the movie, especially in a, in a franchise known for character building. And so I don't, but, but I don't know. I mean, we're, we're talking as critics and if you go on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is like still 70%, I think. So I don't know, maybe, maybe people just connect with hot people doing things that are cool. (laughs) So whatever. The, the stuff we're talking about that doesn't work, like the overemphasis on just talking about the world they live in, the overemphasis on the lore 
of Eternals. They basically say the world is changing every yeah. like twenty minutes. <laughs> it's nonstop trailer speak. <laughs> so some of you may remember that early critic score for the movie was much higher is in the 80s and that's because that was based on early screenings for people like brandon davis you know who i don't have anything wrong i don't have any i don't have an issue with that guy he's a nice guy he loves comic books and nerd stuff but he loves comic books and nerd stuff so his opinion when he just sat through a two and a half hour movie that's just like reintroducing all the Eternals comics that have existed for 60 years. Yeah, that guy's going to have a much higher opinion of the movie than just somebody who likes movies. That's like when I texted you, I texted you, um, wow, how can Eternals be bad? John Campy, I gave it, gave it an 8 out of 10. Right. <laughs> it's like, this is a guy who, uh, he loves <laughs> nerd stuff. So, of course, he's going to be like, finally, a movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that talks about things that matter. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, yeah, of course he's going to have a great time. Which is the existence of aliens over 7,000 years and their role in <laughs> human right. evolution. That's right. The important stuff, you know. And yeah, so like they're going to like absolutely, you know, just like throw up in their seat the minute a Celestial shows up. And like, dude, the stuff of the Celestials, this movie, I cannot ex- emphasize it. Like it's almost awe-inspiring. Like the scale, the design, that stuff is great. But that's five minutes of a two and a half hour movie where most of it is someone going, Druig. Don't possess people's brains. Why? What's the point? They're just humans. They don't know anything. Yes, but they need free will. You know, and that's like 40 minutes of the movie. And you're just like, why is this happening? Yeah. It doesn't play to the end of the movie at all. It's like Druig's power is that he can control people. And there's like a fight with a celestial. And like, it's not like the people are dying because they're off screen getting thrown around. And we know how movies are. If you don't see someone die. And they're not dead. I mean, what is it? Uh, Breaking Bad season six could always happen because Brian Cranston said, we didn't watch me die. So <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and like, so Druig's power is controlling people and he's using it really well. He's using it to shoot at a deviant. And Which like, is kind of cool. Yeah. It's really cool. And Cersei's just like, let them go. This isn't right. But then like he lets them go and then like they leave and then. But like that, that's his power. Where did they go? Well, like, like where did <laughs> they just disappear deeper into the forest? Like, and also like, why would he, what's his power if, what is he there for if he's not to use his power? <laughs> he's like, there to have an implied <laughs> romance with the fast one. <laughs> why? What other purpose does he have to exist other than to be a philosophical concept of, but if you could control people, should you control people? Like, it's just so stupid. Uh, we should have just written. I sh- I should have texted you on Friday and been like, write down a list for individual characters that explain their power, and then bullet point <laughs> everything that doesn't work. <laughs> uh, Cersei, my name's Cersei. My powers are I turn rocks into things. Um, but I'm not supposed to interact with humanity. But I could give water to feed crops. But I'm not supposed to interact with humanity. <laughs> like you can solve world hunger. You're like Britta and Invincible. You have the most yeah. powerful thing. You are the most powerful eternal. Except Britta actually starts doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and doesn't realize that she's probably the most powerful figure in Invincible. Like could probably take on Omni Man, but is probably rightfully too scared of Omni Man. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> The thing that's frustrating to me, and I know the, the our early non-spoiler section is going a little long, but the thing that's frustrating to me is there's a there's so many great like nuggets of storytelling that if expanded upon 
could really be something like Thena and Gilgamesh. That was cool. Thena and Gilgamesh, that stuff's awesome. This should have been a miniseries because we could have expanded on all of this. You have your episode where Icarus and Cersei have their romance so that we can get a good payoff. Or yeah, Thena and Gilgamesh and continue their romance. All this stuff could have been really cool. But I guess this was pitched before Dis- Disney decided to go into streaming. So I don't know. I don't know. It's I could see, and they make a joke in the movie about how everything's all about streaming. <laughs> so I don't understand. Uh, oh well. Yeah, like I could like a, a show or just a movie about somebody who has the ability to, yeah, in essence, solve world hunger and their struggle as they try. Like you, you follow them do little bits of kindness across the, the world, right? Where they go to starving villages and they help provide food or they provide relief and aid to you know a country that's like land like war torn you know or something like that and you sort of follow them as they learn to fall in love with humanity through its through seeing it at its very worst through seeing human suffering and war but they see because they see the bits of hope they interact with relief workers and missionaries as they uh, rescue people they interact with like a mother who's protecting her children from a bombardment. And from there they see like the power of the human spirit or something like that's a movie. Yeah. There's um, there's even a, um, like you could have had really interesting experiences of like each scene is a time period of disaster. And one of the most fascinating ones to look at is uh, the bombing of um, the bombing in Britain afterward. People like the, the government was preparing. Yeah. yeah the whole blitz, the, the government was preparing, like we're going to have, 20 decades or 20 decades, two decades of, of um, having to like do mental health recovery for our community. But then they didn't see that they needed that because the response to the people in the bombing and the way that they helped each other, like through their homes and like feeding one another and providing clothing and shelter and care for one another was so effective and powerful that two decades later, they were actually nostalgic for the time after the bombings and how the community they came together to help one another, like the friendships they made, the way they like people saw how they work together. I mean, total common grace stuff, total like how how you get to see that we're made in God's image being played out in the way that people care for one another. And like, I don't know, where was Druig when that happened? <laughs> Come on, buddy. Why look at look at them. Look at how they care for one another. The movie the movie has a very limited pr- for for being a movie that wants to be very humanist. It has a very 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 juvenile perspective of humanity. <laughs> yeah, it's like if human good, why World War Two? It's yeah, like the big and, idea. <laughs> and like, oh, that's right, humans are cute because of children. Like that's like that's sort of like one character's <laughs> entire response. World War Two, but baby? Question <laughs> yeah. mark. Yeah. <laughs> And that's his like art. you can see the art film where it's like the, the opening shot of the art film is like unedited footage of like murder and Nagasaki, and then like the end scene is like the birth of a human child. <laughs> wow, humanity's no. crazy and disgusting, <laughs> but wow, human life. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like that's this movie, but in the in like covered in Marvel outfits where people are in uniforms that are still funny. So it's just like I don't know. This movie is just better than i expected when it comes to what like, that. <laughs> like it is it is so fun like it's so funny dude this movie's awesome <laughs> because it's exactly like the thing that you didn't nobody wanted it to be but that it hits all the notes of like the caricature of someone who takes themselves too seriously 
because ev- nobody smiles at this movie. Everyone's just sad and miserable. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> so bad, dude. We got to talk about spoilers so we can get into how much worse it is. Uh, Icarus nooms into the sun, dude. It's the meme. He nooms into the sun. <laughs> it's like when you're having an embarrassing interaction and you're like, and you're telling your friend about it and you're like, yeah, I farted in public and this person I was trying to hit on just heard me. Oh man, I wish I nooms into the sun. Like he does that at the end. <laughs> oh man, I really, I, I wanted to give birth to a celestial and cause all of humanity to die. But then my ex-wife saved the planet and I couldn't handle what? it. So I just nooms into the sun. <laughs> like it's so... <laughs> to give context so for the scene, so <laughs> the big middle of the movie twist is that A, the Eternals have, every time they go to a planet, they have their memory erased because their mission isn't to protect humanity. It's to essentially cultivate humanity uh, until the a celestial is born out of a planet. And the celestials, when they're born out of a planet, they have to essentially consume all the energy in the planet, which IE would be all the life on the planet because the celestial select plants to put seeds in them and the celestial grows inside them, which is actually something from the comics. And specifically there's celestial in earth that is asleep and that's the celestial that's in planet earth in this movie. And so the deviants are the Eternals and deviants are both sent to planets by celestials. However, the deviants, unlike the Eternals, evolve and change so in this movie they're fighting deviants that actually not only are evolving but they actually absorb the powers of eternals they kill while the eternals are essentially space robots which is something that was introduced uh, i think in the neil gaiman run on the comics which is they are basically space automatons that's why they don't age that's why they don't evolve or change which is also kind of an interesting wrinkle and i wish they did more with that in the movie and so then you have a moral dilemma at the center of the film which is celestials have an important point part of the universe. Celestials from celestials, their birth, thousands of their life forms are born. They help keep the universe in order. This is part of the natural cycle of things. It is, you know, the circle of life, so to speak. Uh, humanity and, uh, and thousands upon thousands of other planets have all passed away. That is the end goal of most planets is they're just going to burn out eventually. So why not let the planet die out to be part of something greater and bigger. And this splits the Eternals, which is some of them think they should stay on mission and just help create life because in stopping and saving Earth, they are preventing thousands upon thousands of other entire other planets from being born. And that's an interesting idea. That's an actual conundrum at the heart of the movie. But it falls apart when you start to think, oh, wait, can Celestials only create one baby at a time? Or could they just be like, that's not important. Well, there's another Celestial on another planet. We'll just leave that one. With the with the non sentient people because it's just a bunch of animals. G- giant giant space plans never make any sense. I'm totally fine with that. My problem is that rather than actually have the characters struggle or debate the point, they just have one of the characters turn evil. It's a really lazy way to bring out this idea. Where it turns out Icarus knew this was the plan all along, killed Selma Hayek to prevent her from telling the Eternals. And now he's just the bad guy in the team because they need someone to fight. It's just like, there's no conversation. They have one conversation and then they just move on to going, all right, we're going to stop this thing. 
you guys are not going to help us. Okay, we're going to go stop this it's thing. It's because they want to have Homelander. <laughs> Don't you know evil Superman is cool, Dan? I, I, I rolled my eyes so hard at the theater. I was like, another, I literally was like, oh my gosh, another evil Superman. I am so tired of this. I already saw Invincible. He looks he looks like Homelander, too. It's crazy. He does look like Homelander. I don't know. It's not. He's the least charismatic of the evil Superman we've had so far. I I'm gonna put that down. Yeah, he's he's less charismatic than like the 20 minutes of evil Henry Cavill we had in the various Justice League movies. Who at least smirks. <laughs> at least yeah, in that he, he smirks. Has a bad boy <laughs> swagger. This guy is just sad. <laughs> it's not interesting because it's very once like they don't really do a good job of explaining the Celestials' point of view. They, you just get a very like bare bones basic like this is just how it's got to be you know and that's just that's it and then right. like I said they don't really show the ideological struggle of the characters really there's there's like a, it's weird like the movie spends so much time with exposition and characters talking about all kinds of this stuff and then when it gets to this it's very boring weirdly unexamined at least that was my feeling I mean maybe I'm wrong maybe I just zoned out. Because maybe they talked about it for 40 minutes. And I just don't remember. But like I didn't really get a sense that like they did a good job of exploring all the options or all the even implications of its own premise. Where, okay, all of humanity basically has been destined to die for this purpose. Like, what does that say about all the events that we've seen in previous Marvel films? What does that say about the Eternals role in all of this? Like, what is that does that make their work pointless? Does that make humanity's entire progress as a species pointless like there's none of that it's just sort of like it's just a thing for them to fight about and then a thing for them to stop and yeah you get some cool visuals at the end the celestial's hand coming out of the water and then getting like terraformed into something else because it never feels real it just looks kind of kind of empty that's sort of one of my things is like for someone who is very much inspired by denis villeneuve who is a master of awe-inspiring visuals this movie feels very empty and incomplete because like you were talking about how like the celestial visuals are pretty cool, but like even when it, you get this really good introduction scene to Arasham where like it's, it shows Ajax and then like you can only see two of his four eye or two of his, uh, you can see four of his six eyes. I just kept thinking like something doesn't feel good here. Something doesn't feel right here. It felt, yeah, it just felt like this was, it felt like a kind of movie that was constantly in a state of imitation. Um, we haven't talked about how there's like sexuality in this movie, but like, Oh yeah. I totally like, forgot. <laughs> like, yeah. Like even this, this is the movie that like is trying to put so much stuff into it without ever kind of like understanding what makes these things valuable or beautiful or fascinating or wonderful. It just feels, it just, it constantly felt off. That's why I keep making the teenage comparison. It's very sophomoric, but less than sophomoric because at least sophomoric has like this joy of, of exploration and understanding. Like there is something really beautiful about someone getting to understand who they are in the world. Like that's the joy of being sophomoric. But like, this is a movie that's almost like it's saying it stops there. Like it's, it's just not finished in any respect. And so this is where like I, when thinking about something like Dune and Dean of course has a better, uh, more fulfilled 
source material, which obviously helps out uh, Dune's case here. But like when Dune is talking about humanity, it's really like it's not just putting forth this question of human value compared to maybe external purposes such as what you want to take over and things like money. Cause even the whole uh, concept of spice and Arrakis is like, this is what's profits and this is what progress is. But then of course you have the Atreides are trying to um, there, there's this push towards like the value of humanity and a much more religious aspect of like concept of who we are in the universe and things like that. But then like the movie kind of starts laying that out where and this isn't a Dune review, and we're not going to get into spoilers for Dune in Eternals. But one of the primary things is like the promise of human relationship and how death uh, destroys the potential joy that you may have in human relationship. And yet how death may also be necessary in certain instances based on the life of, that someone has chosen to live. And uh, that's all heady and vague, but like Eternals kind of wants to get into that when it talks about like the awe-inspiring nature of potential. I mean, that is like Kingo's whole thing of wanting to like let the celestial be born is like, but what about the potential of new life? What about the potential of new universes? What about, or, or, or galaxies and stuff? I don't know. Did they say that they created universes or galaxies? I think celestials were unique to a single universe. But even Celestials feel small now because of Loki. <laughs> like, like at this point, Kang is still the most powerful thing that has existed well, yeah. uh, based on uh, this. As but, we get into deep spoilers for the movie, we can get into some future world building stuff. But yeah, right. But they never really keep going into like that awe-inspiring, beautiful romance of potential and promise and relationship. And at the very least in Dune, what makes it great there is the the crux of the joy is relationship. Whereas in Eternals, the crux of the quote unquote success or joy is just what the, the idea that things can exist. But it never tells you like what makes it beautiful uh, to exist. There is there's one really good moment in this movie. And so the plan to stop the celestial from being born is that as we establish, Cersei can turn she basically is alchemy. That's her ability. She could turn one thing into another thing. In the movie, she turns a deviant into a tree, which she never could do before. And they treat it like a big deal, like a revelation. But we've never seen it happen. Like we, we still don't really quite. We didn't know. know she could. We didn't know she couldn't do that. It's still a cool visual. We don't really know her powers. It's a cool visual, and it's clear that Chloe Zhao loves science fiction because they try to channel some annihilation there. It felt like, yeah. I, I, there's I a lot of references to stuff. I mean, even the entire when they visit Athena and Gilgamesh, it feels like the opening scenes of Blade Runner twenty forty nine. So yep. there's so yep. much here that's like constant visual imitation, but it's it's just that it's imitation. Yeah, I just I, the opening scene of this movie, we see the Eternals fight the Deviants. It reminded me of a movie you'd see like three in the morning on Sci Fi Channel while like half awake, and then like for years after you'd be like, was that a real movie or did I imagine that? <laughs> like it's just no, that was just, live die repeat. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, that was Edge of Tomorrow, <laughs> aka live die repeat. Yeah. aka oblivion 2 uh aka uh, all you need is kill <laughs> oh such a great title i it's really wish so good i wish top crew started a movie called all you need, all is, you kill. need is kill like that's so awesome so sick but so okay so their plan is so in the comics they can form something called the unimind here they the unimind is something brian tyree henry's character invents which is together they What's could, his name? What's his name in the movie? Fastos. There we go. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. 
he creates a Unimind, which is a thing that combines all their power together so that she could potentially turn the Celestial is being born into something else forever from being born. They ask if Druid could potentially possess its mind and make it go to sleep, which is actually what they do in the comics to an extent. But he doesn't think he can do it. But he never even tries. <laughs> he's like, nah, I can't do that. I respect that. He's just, he knows his limits. He tries to do it. It doesn't work. And then he's just like, I can't do it. So he <laughs> hits like, right with a rock, which gets a big laugh in my audience. So I didn't get a big laugh in my theater. I had people go, oh, like, <laughs> they, just, they just watched a kid get hit in the head with a rock by an adult. <laughs> like, yeah. Nothing. There was no laughs in this movie except for the scene that's in the trailer with the Ikea table. People, were, people <laughs> laugh pretty consistently. There's like, Okay, so just to, to deviate for a second, uh, the one of the things that got consistent laughs was there's a thing where Kumail Nanjiani's character, his valet comes along. I like that. That stuff was fun. Yes, and he's a big fan of the Eternals because, yeah, logically, they're the original superheroes on Earth because they've been around way longer than everyone else. So why are they hiding? I don't know. Anyway, so... <laughs> why are they hiding anymore? Everybody knows that superheroes exist. <laughs> the first movie in this series... Tony Stark says he's Iron Man. So, so just, I will why say, are you hiding? Wh- one of the reasons that I don't want them to like erase the Netflix shows from the canon and stuff is uh. there's they actually kind of deal with the whole thing of like superheroes are just a given. So like in Luke Cage, Luke Cage is just in town and people just keep asking him for help. So he's like walking down the street to help somebody with one thing. So it's like Luke, Luke, you need to help me. Uh, my mom's stuck in her house. He's like, oh, okay. So he keeps getting like diverted <laughs> and so like. And there's another there's scene. A cat stuck in a tree. Please yes, help. like. <laughs> Literally, he has to like rescue cats from trees because he's just the neighborhood superhero. So and why not? Him. That's really cre- That's like really sweet. It's so funny. It's great. These Eternals then- are so selfish. Uh, I have no purpose. <laughs> I know. Luke Cage is putting in the hours. You cowards. <laughs> and there's a thing where uh, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage go on a date, and and uh, Luke is like. Uh, how'd you get your powers? She's like, oh, this. How'd you get your powers? She's like, ah, oh, science experiment. And they're just like, that's just part of the date. <laughs> so they're just like, what's your origin story? Ah, it was a science experiment. This doesn't even work in the Marvel universe. Eternals doesn't work <laughs> in any universe. This has to take place in a different universe than the one we're in. So, like, I understand that, like, they have been divinely told they cannot interfere with humanity, partially because their powers and what they do affects history you know fastos is fast tracking human like technological evolution that sort of thing and it's like they're not just serving like the thing with like what i like about the marvel characters is there is a sense of like there's a personal like spider-man right like personal sense of duty he feels like it is his he feels like a moral pull to be spider-man and do what he does the eternals are basically being controlled by a giant space god, right? So they can't they cannot interfere for fear of incurring the wrath and ruining their mission, which is their whole purpose in life. And hence why they choose isolation and some of them choose to like hide in plain sight. Like, yeah, it doesn't fully come together if you think about it too hard. But to be fair, a lot of superhero stuff doesn't fully make sense if you think about it too hard. I'm okay with that. Like that stuff doesn't bother me too much. I they even I think they make it worse by trying to give an explanation like, hey, why didn't you help fight Thanos? And like, that's a good point. Why? Where were you? Because wouldn't the world ending prevent the celestial from being born? Like, doesn't that, right. imp- you know, right. like, oh, uh, we, we, were, we were told we couldn't, you know, and so they're just really good employees, I guess. I don't know. So, uh, yeah, I think some of the things that's worse, the more you try and address it and give an explanation for it. But yeah, so uh, 
Icarus wants to prevent them from stopping Celestial. Sprite follows him because Sprite has like a Peter Pan, Tinkerbell thing going on with Icarus where Sprite is in love with Icarus, but Sprite could never really be with Icarus. But we only know this by exposition. We don't know this by them showing anything or anything. Or Sprite it's... looking at him longingly or anything. There's yeah. some of that. It's, but it, that can never happen because Sprite looks like she's like 11 years old. So that would that would be real problematic, you know? So Yeah, so Kumail Nanjiani, though, is a Bollywood actor. And so when he joins the team, he has his valet. His valet's like shooting a documentary with him about the Eternals. And that stuff's like really charming and cute because it's like a human touch in this movie. And uh, there's this understated comedy where he's just always there now. So there's this, there'll be these big moments where the team's like debating about celestials and what to do with the world. And there's just this older Indian man sitting there just like watching them, like with them. And that consistently got a chuckle out of me because they don't overexpose it. He's just there the whole time. Yeah, it works. And so that's funny. It, that, but the Ikea joke, not funny. Really not funny. It pains yeah. me every time I was in the theater and people laughed at the trailer and they laughed in the movie. Even though they saw it in the trailer. And people quoted it. They said it with him when he goes ikea fall collection half my theater said the line out loud with him and i almost got up and walked out of the theater but this is this is what movies are turning into if you just do that then you're going to get an 80 percent of rotten tomatoes but if you were to ask them what what do you think about the concept of uh aborting a celestial that can create life hmm i don't know but that ikea collection joke ikea was fall collection <laughs> like a robot uh, <laughs> But it oh, all leads man. to what I think is the best scene of the movie because it works, which is Cersei is turning this giant celestial into just a giant mountain. It's kind of awesome. And Icarus is just beating the crap out of all the other Eternals. He's too powerful. He's Omni-Man. They can't stop him. He shows up and he's about to fight Cersei and they just look at each other. And he starts to tear up and he doesn't do anything. He cannot bring himself to attack. Wow, her. that would be the best scene in the movie if it worked. Sorry, think, Dan. Get I dunked. It, I think it works. I think, I think his, it does not work, Daniel. It's the only thing in the movie that has had buildup. It's the only thing in the movie. What? They, they <laughs> what had <build> up? <laughs> the an hour and a half of them talking about being in love. That's the what? half of the no, movie. They, <laughs> they have talked what? nonstop. There's a, they have a they have a wedding. They have a sex scene. They meet they talk about why they they talk about like why didn't things work out they don't give an explanation they don't do any of this what do you what what you screening were you in you didn't remember the sex scene in the movie that like yeah for five seconds in the first 10 minutes and it's then after that it's like long. you basically forget the, that they're together the, mid, the middle schoolers in the theater were freaking out when this because they're kissing and really passionately and then it cuts to them like naked on a beach and all the middle schoolers in my theater were freaking out they're like oh my gosh uh they have a wedding there's multiple conversations where they just talk about them there's a whole, there's a whole thing opening thing at Harrington barely this movie's two and a half hours even if it doesn't feel like it's a lot of time it's a lot of cumulative time fine then there's only two responses to this one either you're wrong and this stuff doesn't happen or two the movie <laughs> is so oppressive that it's just not something i remember at all because i just i like that you're leading on the possibility that i just had like a complete like seizure in the theater <laughs> and like i just imagined whole sections of a movie well apparently the the sex scene is more graphic if you see it in imax so if you saw this in imax maybe there's just extra scenes where they're just more in love but i don't know i'm not saying they have a good romance i'm saying it's one of the only things in the movie that gets a 
an adequate amount of screen time to be a thing that exists. Like, I'm not saying the romance is good. I'm just saying it's a thing that consistently exists throughout the movie. Like, I don't even know who the main character of this movie is. There is no main character. Based upon how the movie is telling itself. So I don't even know where my investments are supposed to be. So I don't even know if they even did like each other. I definitely think it's supposed to be Cersei. Like, she gets a ton of, like, she's the first, like, character we are introduced to. So, like, in the language of film, she's our point of entry because we see her life. They establish her life really, like, outside of being a turtle. We see that she has an apartment. She works at a... uh, she teaches at a museum, which I don't know if that's a real thing that exists in the world. I just hate that we get a teaching scene. The classic, what is it? Yeah, the classic film school. How do I set the groundwork? Classic, oh, the happening pro- moment. My, my teacher's a professor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Where Mark Wahlberg just opens up and says, you guys are think about bees? You know. <laughs> <laughs> she has she has a relationship with Kid Harrington. A relationship she, like, leaves. She actually calls him at some point in the movie, which is really weird. I thought they broke up. Like, I thought the shorthand was they, they weren't a thing anymore because she's being eternal. But no, they're still together. And then they're together at the end of the movie, which is also kind of weird when you think about it. But yeah. And so she has all these, she has these scenes where you see her life outside of it. They specifically highlight her powers several times and the evolution of her powers because she can suddenly transform deviants into, you know, modern art sculptures. And then... Yeah, so like there's this she's the only character that has a specific progression of things like none of the other characters really change or evolve as characters at all, which is bad for a movie with like a hundred characters because there's all these people and I can't remember their names. I could barely remember what their powers are, like what the limitations of them are. So like at the end of the movie, there's a giant fight and I'm not sure who can do what like, okay, fastest could do machines. I didn't know he could just create machines and throw them at people and that they would do stuff like it was a pleasant surprise. But yeah, everyone else is very ill-defined. But Cersei has the closest thing this movie has to a character. I don't want to call it arc, but it's a progression. Like she has things that change. I don't think she has a character arc because her character doesn't change, really. She doesn't learn anything. She doesn't grow as a person, really. Really, it's just she just finally successfully breaks up with Icarus, I guess. I guess that's her. Ah, uh, yes. This is, this is like, just like Midsummer. Actually, this is a breakup movie. <laughs> I guess. Because, <laughs> I mean, he flies in the sun. He's he so conflicted. He into the sun, man. He nooms into the sun. He, like, and I, I would say this is the only thing where, like, you could, like, read something into it. Like, maybe he feels so conflicted. Maybe he realizes how far he's fallen because he was about to attack the one person he loves and he cannot... But he's also failed his mission, so he's unable to live with himself. But then they also establish that there's thousands of Eternals all across the universe. So if they want Richard Madden back, they could do that, which really bothered me. And we also just don't know his power level because he doesn't get injured the entire movie. And so, like, he probably is not even dead. He's he just, just go to just the sun. in the sun. That'd be he's awesome. Just there. That's like Avengers Seven. This is a yeah. giant Icarus comes out of the sun. It's. it's it's a mess, dude. But no, my thing, my thing is they mess in, they mention that there's like thousands of Eternals teams all across the multiverse or whatever. So these guys are dead. Like Gilgamesh is dead. Icarus is dead. But also there's a million other Icaruses and Gilgameshes all across the universe. So they're not dead. Like these guys are dead. But then like in a future movie, you could just have a thousand of them show up out of a portal, you know? So I'm like, I really hope they don't do that. They're another faction. 
for some reason, Kevin Feige's like, I just want to do factions. They're just a team of turtles. <laughs> and I just, I'm not for this. I am not excited for whatever's next with the MCU when it comes to this stuff. Loki season two is going to be dope. I can't wait for that. I say as and then it comes out, it's bad. But like this stuff, I don't care about yeah. even how it ends. Like the movie ends. And I was just sort of oh, like weirdly downer ending, which I appreciated that, but also just what? <laughs> what? So both Dune and this gave me a ton of anime vibes too. And like this one made me think of serial experiments lane when they're showing, if anybody watches anime, they'll pick these. Oh, up. that's a good, that's but a good that show. one. They pick when they're showing that they're constructs. It was like in lane, the visuals at the end were like Gorin Login, And uh, there was something else <laughs> that gave me a lot of anime vibes, but like, <laughs> It's just Comparing like comparing serial experiments like, lane to Guru and Lock on. Like, no, well, yeah, really different. The lane stuff for like, <laughs> hey, we, well, that first off, let's put into perspective. That's Eternals' fault. Eternals is the one that wants to try and do everything, and it just can't do it. You can't do Lane and Guru and Login because they're totally different. Uh, but like this, this keeps like kind of just it, it's just a constant imitation of these things that I like. Plus the Marvel universe, and it just doesn't come out, man. I don't know. I don't yeah. know what else to say. But there's a lot of a lot of anime vibes in this too. But they just they just don't work. I don't know. So, here's the sick, twisted thing about it. Like it on its own, it, this movie Eternals and its ending is bizarre because they win and then they don't win. It's very weird. So for, we're talking vaguely, but so literally after they stop the Celestial. Cersei has a moment with Kid Harrington where Kid Harrington's like, oh, that's pretty crazy, huh? Or whatever he says. And then the celestial that they've defied just shows up and zaps them off the planet and is just like, your punishment must be more severe or whatever. And then he just like disappears. Everyone on Earth is just like, what the heck was that? They're all freaking <laughs> out because a giant... Yeah. Like celestial to show. I love up. that everything that's happened that's bad post blip is like, did the blip cause this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a settlement of world like that. I really appreciate. Like, is this the blip fun. too? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I love that the Marvel world is just a nightmare world where just at any moment you can disappear or a giant space robot god can show up and just yell at you and then leave and you don't know what happened. <laughs> That's awesome. It's the worst. I don't want to live there. At yeah, all. I was like, would you want to live in Middle Earth? Would you want to live in the Mobsoic universe? Would you? No, I don't want to live anywhere of those places. Real life is stressful enough. I don't want to live. In, imagine your life now, struggling to pay rent. You got, you got like student loans to pay off, and then aliens just attack your. I mean, town. is there even insurance for the blip? Like, would it, I mean, insurance <laughs> companies are evil. My wife works with insurance companies, and she's like. It's crazy the loopholes they have for like, oh, you can't deny someone. We'll just make it so the only hospital that accepts you is in two states away. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my bad. Gosh, give me, I love capitalism. G- give me a show <laughs> where it's like people investing in life insurance claims post the blip, right? Where it's just like, yeah, you got a billion dollar payout, but they came back. So we want that money back. And then just someone is like, I don't have the money anymore. It's been five years. And now that you know the blip can happen, it's like you have to pay an additional two six six thousand a year because oh well you never know if the blip will happen yeah, again or you can see the salesman totally manipulating everyone does, and their mother do ali- are so alien are aliens are those considered an act of god right does that fall under like weather or aliens because it's with that is that its own separate policy right or do you have like if superman not superman but if a if an avenger picks up your car and throws it at somebody does your car insurance cover that 
is that considered act of God? Is that considered collision? What is that? You know, <laughs> <It's> this- collision. <laughs> love that so much right so were you like, in the vehicle or not does insurance cover the projects in the vehicle i like Was to your... think that the avengers all are triple a so when they do something to your car like oh, we, oh you're covered gosh. by our triple a policy right marvel could do that thing remember what was it last year with the pandemic there was a guy who said like uh there's a coup happening in my country and i have no power and there's a pandemic so i can't leave my house so i can't finish my paper and then that pro- <laughs> the professor wrote back like I too grew up in a country with a coup and I finished school. There's no excuse. You're getting a failing grade. And then like the whole internet helped him out to like get him back. I think they canceled the teacher or something, which say what you will about cancel culture, but come on. The guy's having gunshots out his window yeah. and there's a pandemic and you're going to give These him a failing darn grade. darn young people. <laughs> yeah, I think he said that in the email. The professor was like, you young people with your handouts and everything. And then like, <laughs> but does. now it's like, hey, my mother was blipped. <laughs> Iron Man threw my car. Get over it. Yeah, <laughs> I like, grew up with two dads because my mom buried under the blip and they decided to try and make it work when they came back. You don't <laughs> know. Finish your paper. <laughs> Both of them are angry drugs. You don't know what it's like, you know, or whatever. When I was a kid, I had to walk to school in between school v inhuman wars every day. You don't know what it's like. Yeah. Oh yeah, you had Thanos. Well, I had Infinity uh, Ultron. I, my situation was way worse. Than I was yours. brought over for a parallel universe where Ultron got the base as it killed Thanos, <laughs> and I still finished my paper. You know, you have no excuse, you dang millennial. <laughs> Stop buying Starbucks and pay your rent. Yeah, I went to school right to the Avengers Tower. Do you know what that was like? <laughs> it was a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, I figured we just kept riffing. We get on a funny one eventually. This, but... this is so much more interesting than Eternals. Well, yeah, Eternals, like the <laughs> implications of the wider universe, the idea that like, because now a lot of people are like, is they going to send Galactus? Is that what's going to happen? Is he going to send Galactus? Which is not a good sign when like the main thing people take away from your movie is like, I wonder what the other movies are going to be like, you know? Yeah. Because there's uh, there's two post credit scenes, which we'll get into in a second. But yeah, so the implication is that the Celestial Event Upset is going to do something bad. While one group of Eternals stay on Earth, Angelina Jolie, Sprite, and I think, excuse me, the fast one, they went on a spaceship. The Domo, which does not look cool, by the way. For someone who wants to imitate Villeneuve, like, I thought the Delmo constantly looked funny on screen, except for the opening <laughs> shot where I it like flies past the sun. The outside of the ship is fine like i like that it looks like a old school like 80s sci-fi yeah the inside of the ship it's empty like there's nothing it's weird like it's, it's weirdly boring. un unspaceshipy you know the only one that seems to be alive that's on earth is sprite because sprites turned into a human which i liked that actually could have made me cry just because i that trope i like of like i can't live the life i want to and now i can yeah, that's really, really cool. That's a, that was a nice touch. It was a little out of left field, but I liked it. Yeah. So, all right. Good job, Chloe Zhao. You got me. But that's remember, Chloe Zhao, that's only <laughs> one minute out of two hours and 37 minutes. Yeah. So, like, if you can if you combine the thing I liked and the thing that we both liked, that is five minutes of a two and a half hour movie. But yeah, though that's who's left. But like, it never really explains, like, why the Celestial couldn't just warp to the Domo and just 
take them as well. Who knows? Know. <laughs> Who knows? We don't know. We don't know what the limits or abilities of celestials are. And all poor the the poor directioners only get like one scene with Harry Styles, and it's yes, a stinger. So, poor guys. Uh, so yeah, the Domo. There's the three Eternals who've gone. They're going to go find the other Eternals. They'll be like, hey. Did you know that we're just space robots serving a horrible taskmaster? And then while they're on the ship, Patton Oswald shows up. It's awesome. I love Patton Oswald. He shows up as this little drunk elf dude, which is great. That's like presenting the great, you know, the prince of Titan. And it's he is the son of Thanos. I mean, no, the brother of Thanos. Sorry, the brother of Thanos. And everyone theater is like, oh, brother Thanos. And it's freaking Harry Styles playing uh star fox who in mythology he's like the god of love and he could in the comics he can control emotions so it's pop superstar harry styles as like a love <laughs> god and my theater loved it they you thought out. eternals was sexy wait yeah. until eternals too and it's just like harry styles <laughs> and angie jolie making doe eyes at each other i'm like yes i am in i want this this looks great and uh it's so out of left field it's so like wild in this middle of this ace costume looks terrible it's great for those who don't know star fox the brother of thanos actually is a good guy he becomes a member of the avengers and he's considered one of the worst avengers that ever exist the other one actually is kid Harrington's character the black knight also considered Wait, not you a mean worst as in like in world the worst or like in our world he's well the no worst. just like fans d- did not like him as okay. an adventure they did not like his run as an adventure yeah weird crossover with nintendo but whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, space it works but the second post-credit scene kit harrington for those who don't know kit harrington becomes a character called the black knight he comes from a lineage of evil knights however he has a magic sword and he rides one of the horses that the valkyrie rides on like the winged horses so he's a fan favorite character and he's just a guy with a magic sword. And you know somebody at Marvel was like, kids like this Game of Thrones stuff. What if we got the Game of Thrones guy and just made him our version of a Game of Thrones guy? Yeah. So I I doubt he'll have the traditional like comic costume where he's like a giant suit of armor. Then it'll it'll be more Jon Snowy. Uh, you know, it will be. And he's he opens the 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 case with the blade in it, and the blade has this like symbiote kind of vibe to it. And then he hears a voice that says, You sure you want to do that? And the voice is Mahershala, Mahershala Ali. Ali, Blade, Blade the Vampire Hunter. I don't know how him and the Black Knight guy are going to, that doesn't make any sense. But still, Blade, his first voice cameo. Uh, that's interesting. I wonder if they're going to do a thing where his Blade has um, the Blade, the sword, not the character. I, w- I wonder if they're going to do a thing where like his sword kind of has like a symbiote thing to it. I wonder if they're going to tie it into Gore the God Butcher, who has a sword that's made from Noel, the god of symbiotes and that's how he can kill celestials there's there's a potential for like story here but yeah so the post-credit scenes they're the typical cool post-credit scenes not not in the sense that like the venom 2 post-credit scene where it's so good it almost justifies seeing the whole movie but i thought they were nice for me they were a nice palate cleanser after a pretty disappointing movie yeah where i was yeah, like yeah oh, those are cool but yeah so eternals it's definitely down there like the question is is this the worst mcu movie because it's definitely in the running. I'm, uh, hmm. I don't know. I'd have to watch them all again. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, in recent memory, because I didn't think, I didn't think it was going to be worse than Black Widow. And then the reviews came in. 
I didn't actually have an opinion about Eternals. I just know the second trailer looked better. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then it just wasn't. Um, so yeah, definitely a bad one. Uh, <laughs> and all that matters even from the movie is the last five seconds, which you can watch on YouTube and that's it. You don't even need the stingers. And so it doesn't really have any events. That's like, I don't know, important. We say that now who knows what retroactively becomes super important, you know? but like, it's not like like we we just i'm just just thinking like in this year with marvel properties even venom 2's post credits is more entertaining than this entire movie got more emotional response than this movie and yeah after like i even said to cat i was like i would sooner watch falcon and winter soldier than this uh again because at least falcon and winter soldier is just more interesting has better characters Wyatt wrestles in it, so that's fun. <laughs> and then the ending, even though it's really disappointing, is still more fulfilling, I think, than the end of this movie itself. So I don't know. And especially when you have strong contenders like WandaVision and Loki. Oh, man. And then shang Chi's just fun. Uh, also, this movie's visuals are not very interesting. I, I actually found the movie quite ugly at times. And so it's just like... I don't know. There's some, yeah, we didn't talk, which is weird we didn't talk about it because that was the big hubble about it, which is they used, they went shot on location, they didn't use CGI. But it's ugly. It's an ugly movie. It's it's weird because it's like there's some scenes right. It's also it. too dark. To quote a podcast yeah. I listen to, movies are too dark. I'm getting old. I need to wear glasses all the time. It is too dark. And there's just a lot of scenes in this movie that are needlessly dark, sort of like how in certain art movies they whisper all the time and you're like, why are you whispering? You're the only people in the room. <laughs> just talk. <laughs> <laughs> and this movie's just—it's just an ugly movie. Yeah, there's a there's a handful of sequences where like I was like, okay, that looks nice. Like I can see, I can tell this is kind of natural lighting. I like that. I can tell they're at a place that's tangible, real. But it's yeah, the ugly, movie man. feels like washed out. Like, I don't know what it is. Like it's like there's some nice sequences where they're in like different countries and like everything kind of looks red and that's kind of nice. But yeah, like for all the, for all the hype about like, Oh, they shot near real water you know, or whatever. I expected, <laughs> I expected a lot more pop. Like I wanted stuff to look like it does kind of look, it reminds me a little bit of like the Revenant where like, yeah, they shot on location, but their locations they shot at were all dreary, sad looking forests, which worked for the vibe of the movie but it wasn't like as eye catching as promised necessarily. And so yeah, Eternals looks kind of trap. Yeah. It feels, you know, for most of it, it doesn't feel tangible for, for someone who's influenced by directors who can make the fantastical feel real. This movie is just seriously not real. I don't know if this is the worst one. I think incredible Hulk might still be the one I think is the worst. But that runtime really pushes it down the list. The runtime for this is bad. And at least The Incredible Hulk is more interesting to talk about in terms of what how the movie was made. <laughs> well, Because we'll never know how Eternals was made. Because yeah. Disney's now so secure with all their behind-the-scenes stuff that they'll never say anything bad happened on set. So I mean, I've heard some things. like, But like everyone who's, everyone who's talked about the process of making the movie, they said like they had a really great time. They liked working with Chloe Zhao as partially why so many people signed on is they want to work with Chloe Zhao. And Selma Hayek has been very complimentary about the creative process about like talking with Chloe Zhao about the script and stuff like that. So um, I can't imagine it was a bad shoot or anything. I just think that 
it, I really it's one of those movies where like the the reach really overextended past the grasp. Yeah, I think they were trying to do so much, and yeah, it, maybe maybe it's not the worst Marvel movie, but it's going to be a tough one to ever rewatch. Oh man. I think it's the worst one as we're talking through it. I'm remembering that scene in the first like 40 minutes, which means, means you're still not even a third of the way through. Which means the movie hasn't started yet. <laughs> so, and, yeah. uh, they're like, it's it's right when they're like, the, all the deviants are gone. And like, it's so obviously set up to say all the deviants are gone. And then you turn and there's people killing each other. <laughs> and it's, it's like, ah, uh, yes, the real deviants, humanity. <laughs> and first they're like in a palace in a different time zone talking about this, but then they just warp to like colonial times of like conquistador shooting at natives. And then Athena goes crazy and they're still having the conversation they had when they were in like an yeah. Aztec palace, but then they warp back to the Aztec palace to continue their conversation. And it looks like, there were, I mean, obviously in the trailer, there are scenes that are not in the movie, but also I think Marvel's doing this thing where they're shooting scenes specifically for trailers at this point. Don't mind that. But. They do a lot of warping because I think the movie was probably a lot longer and there was probably going to be more sequences of this like dream weary thing that they wanted to put out of the movie. I don't know. It's, and yeah, it's just a mess. When I was watching it, I was like, I think I need to just accept that like, it's not only nonlinear, but the movie's nonlinear by not being nonlinear in a way that seems natural or normal because this movie has been edited to make it work and it doesn't work. So I, yeah, this has to be the worst one. I, I think incredible Hulk was at least more interesting, even though it was boring. And I thought the ending was um, strangely more nightmarish, but at least that movie got me feeling things. Eternals. Like I was just like, I don't know to give context for how stuff this movie is. There's a whole villain. We didn't talk about. Yeah, and there's a whole subplot with Thena going crazy. He's just like us. Don't you understand? He yeah. is just like us. And it's like, I get your philosophy, but this is very poorly done. That would have been if he had just been the villain of the movie and that was built up the whole movie. A deviant that evolves. It's Darwinism. And it shows the Eternals that they're not the good guys. Yeah, that would have been something. But then but they just murder him anyway. not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like he's an actual kind of like I can see that as like a terrifying villain where every time he kills a hero, he gains their powers. And so like the whole movie, like you're worried about like this like uber deviant. And he evolves to a point where he gets the ability to talk and becomes a sentient like creature that like actually is saying some things that aren't necessarily wrong. But it's like he just dies. <laughs> like it, it, it like yeah. doesn't play into the end of the movie at all. It feels added. Like if you told me that this was something they added in reshoots, I would totally believe you. Like it's just so weird. It's because this movie wants to talk about everything. Yeah, but it's not talking about anything at the same it time. Gives, it gives a lot of lip service to a lot of things and never actually d- dives into anything. And there's a whole thing where Athena's going crazy. It turns out that what she's doing is she's just remembering all the previous planets the Eternals have been on. And that also would be an interesting idea, but it just kind of goes away. Weird. And it doesn't make sense that they would have any knowledge or memory of the previous versions, because if they just had constructs, they could just make a new construct. But then also, like, why does the new construct have to have the memories of the past? Yeah, but that's expensive, man. You got to maximize your investment. You got to. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Celestials are on a budget. My bad. (laughs) Yeah, you just you got to wipe the robots, send to another planet. You know, they're probably on a budget because Kang, the Conqueror using the TVA is like, oh, Celestial doing things that it's not supposed to? Let me send the TVA out here to warp you out. And they just pay them off. Like, eh, let's, let's make this problem go away, you know? 
using space bucks, I guess. I don't know what the money is. Probably. Why not? Maybe they just use um, the the um, Infinity Stones it, it, as currency. Infinity Stones. I don't know. It's, it's tough, especially after Loki and showing how the stakes, like Kang, Kang is so exciting to think about because he's so, he's just a dude. He is just a human. But he's in charge of all of time and space. That's so cool. To to the point that he's so afraid of his other versions. Like, that is such a fascinating character. And, like, the more I think about it since... Because if you listen to the episode, I was less interested. And part of that is just the way that they have him perform. But now that I understand that he's, like, the cuckoo crazy, I've won, I've won, I've won, I've won, finally. Like, that it all comes together and works. And it's like, am I really that scared of Arsham? Because it sounds like Kang was more powerful than Arsham. Kang, in theory, could just erase Arsham, right? Yeah, like, he could just place one of the TVA things on Arsham, and then Arsham's <laughs> like, oops, my bad. Oh, well, I have a scratch to the back of my neck. And it's, you know. <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like Duke Leto in, um, in Dune. The thing's just on his back. It's like, uh, oops, yeah, yeah. can't get rid of it. Um, <laughs> Poor guy. And, uh, <laughs> oops, <laughs> too soon. And uh, yeah, so like, I don't know. It's like, am I really that intimidated by something that like what makes <laughs> what makes Kang more freaky is that he's a human. Yeah. Who just has future technology. Is is Arsham going to scan all of humanity and then go, whoops. Uh, yeah, humans <laughs> should go because Kang is scary. <laughs> I mean, is there a universe then that like, was this a universe that Kang couldn't get born because he was in the 26th century? And Tiamat was born earlier. Well, that, like, that doesn't matter though, right? Because he can go to different universes, right? But so he would have to be from a universe where Tiamat didn't wake up, right? Because this is in the 21st century. And you, so, just made, like, you just made me realize we're going to see all these characters again in season like three of What If or whatever, you know? But yeah, I don't know. What it's, if he had woken up? Uh, Marvel is the retirement plan for all these actors who are not getting royalties anymore because streaming services. <laughs> so like, oh, you want to make sure you have work for in the future? You got to you gotta be at least one character because they'll bring you back and Marvel fans will eat it up. We'll find a way. Get, like, your, we, get your royalty for pop vinyls. We stuck we stuck Kat Dennings in WandaVision. Doesn't matter. <laughs> we can do whatever we want, you know? <laughs> oh, you liked her in WandaVision? We'll put her in What If? <laughs> yeah. So you get to Agatha Harkness to is getting her own show, apparently. So. It's just crazy which whatever that's gonna be so i don't know what's the point of rsham anymore man kang is way more interesting well it he feels like he feels like ultron like he feels like a villain for a lesser team up movie before they fight you know kang or one of the real villains you know well yeah because you had dormammu who is basically a was he a celestial and like no he's he's a he's a no he's a fear uh fear lord is that worse or better there's just or equal okay, to so <laughs> <laughs> uh, do we have 30 more minutes <laughs> basically you have to think of every group of villains as having a domain so you got people who run like underworld this just makes me places. think of the spongebob then, episode for evil every villain is lemons <laughs> every villain is lemons <laughs> and then you have space bad guys you have afterlife bad guys you have dimensional bad guys and so yeah people like dormammu despair nightmare they are the bad guys and to mephisto to an extent they're the bad guys of like hell the underworld things dr strange deals with and you have people like the celestials and galactus and they're the villains of space stuff that's like the easiest way to explain it but kang still seems like he's going to be the most powerful guy i don't know his issue is yeah kang because he could travel in this version because he specifically can do multiversal stuff he can 
mess up reality itself. So yeah, that's like, part of what makes him scary. You is know? Kang outside of the Celestials? Like, because if a Celestial is limited to a universe, Kang's like mansion, which may not be even his mansion because like it looks like it was somebody else's and he took over based on all the lore bits that we're getting from Loki. Man, Loki's great. We should just do another episode on Loki. <laughs> just rewatch Loki. Here's the new stuff we found. I'm very intrigued by Loki season two. Yeah. Like, because I, I don't know. Like, it sounds like it sounds like it sounds like the Celestials are what kang just like eats for breakfast at this point so what's the point man what's the point of eternals i'm sorry chloe Zhao. you wanted to talk about life and the universe and everything in it but like loki basically did it but better already and then it's also coming out like two weeks after dune so i don't know why it it feels like they're scared to really delve into really delve into any particular topic in any way that's too specific if that but makes loki sense loki did that and wandavision but, and even well, like, falcon well loki and wandavision do delve into topic but it's they are still sort of general topics like grief is a general topic everyone can relate to that loki deals with you know the whole feeling of like you don't belong anywhere and finding somebody who finally understands you like well, that stuff self-love is, self-love that's general but it also deals with like free will it deals with independence it deals with stuff like that like even if you are able to love yourself and have self-independence doesn't matter if it's in line of like other people's purpose and stuff like that. And it does it way better than Eternals I, yeah, does. I, I definitely agree with that. But I think, but when it comes to too specific a topic that might take a viewpoint that might upset someone, I think that's when they pull back. Like, for example, there's a lot of stuff you could have said with Falcon Winter Soldier that feels like they were a little too scared to go too deep into. So they pulled back a little bit. So US agent is just a good guy in the last episode for no reason. You know, yeah. it, that's, it does. It definitely feels like that. And internals, I think you could have maybe said something a little more poignant about people, about life, about the way that we go through life and time and all that stuff. And I, I worry that like, maybe philosophically they're worried to fall on any sort of, cause you are getting into borderline religious topics with that stuff and i think in a market that's global you don't want to make a religious a sort of religious statement that could be conceived as anti any other religion because they're trying to be in all these different markets or philosophically you can't take your 13 and 14 year olds where about a, to a movie where they're ta- basically talking about rebelling against god about taking destiny to your own hand about grabbing free will by the horns and doing whatever you want but eternals is b- weirdly their big swing to start putting stuff in the movie that will cut markets off. This movie hasn't pulled from some theaters in certain markets uh, for various reasons. And yeah, the sexuality in the movie is a topic of discussion. Um, yeah. Like you said, this, the sex scene isn't particularly, it's not graphic and I couldn't see anything cause I didn't see an IMAX or anything. So I, it, yeah, I saw I Dolby tell, screening, so it wasn't really, it there. was, I could tell it was happening. And I, it was definitely was, more than i expected because the most of i've expected from this is like i think a wonder woman you just see like wonder woman and chris pine walk into a room together and they close the door or something i think that's it like oh all you, see. you mean in 1984 when she sleeps with someone who is not actually chris pine no, I'm talking even about the first though one, but i totally forgot that <laughs> the really bizarre totally unnecessary date rape that is wonder woman 1984 uh yeah <laughs> It was more than I expected, though, because in most even rated R movies, sometimes where there's no nudity, but there's sex in it, they're under blankets, uh, which largely means they're fully clothed uh, underneath. 
And so it was just strange. Also, why is it that like the Babylonian city with the domo is underneath a ton of sand, but the place that the two characters had sex had virtually no land change? Did you notice that? Because they go back to that place to do reminiscing, and then we get the backstory of Icarus being evil, and like the entire land formation is exactly the same shape and everything, even though it's been six thousand years. Anyways, I could I could do cinema sins all day for this, <laughs> but cinema sins is cringe. It sure is. This is where I get to think about like, oh, sex scene, oh, homosexual, whatever. It's like they're robots. What? Like, I think it'll be telling if the movie's lasting legacy is just stuff like that. Or if the lasting legacy is, you'd see that Rotten Tomatoes score. That's it. Yeah, like the 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 bad the one that got bad reviews is like its legacy. Yeah, forty eight percent. The one that got bad reviews less than a year after her previous movie gets Best Picture, which is just sad. Like that's, and I don't say sad as in like haha funny. I just mean like it's actually just sad. Like you go from making independent pictures that are huge, including one that was really powerful and moving for a lot of people, and then like you just get scooped up by a big company to make a movie out of your element and it's bad. I think that's just disappointing, but I digress. Any lasting, any last thoughts, Daniel? It's, I don't, you know, I, like I said, I don't think it's like, it's not the worst movie I've ever seen or anything. It's, it's a pretty average to not great movie. That's just really worsened by its runtime. I think if this movie was noticeably shorter, I think it would not be getting such harsh reviews. It'd just be considered a not great movie, but it's really tough to recommend it given its runtime, as well as the fact that I don't think, like I said, there's nuggets of interesting ideas and some interesting visuals here and there, but it's buried underneath a two and a half hour runtime of half hearted exposition heaviness. And I can, I don't, I really cannot hammer home how, how much exposition is in this movie. It is endless scenes of characters just verbally saying how they're feeling and why they're feeling what they're feeling rather than just letting them be characters in a movie. It just feels, it feels like an uncomfortable marriage of a filmmaker and a subject matter. I, it just doesn't feel like it just didn't feel like it, everything gelled together and you can, the actors are performing admirably, but it just isn't there. So uh, I do not recommend this movie. I think it's definitely one of the ones I would re- you wait till it comes on Disney plus. So you can fast forward through some of the boring bits and yeah, the only report. And if you're a completionist, like I am, I mean, there's, you haven't even listened this far on the podcast. You've already run out and seen it. So it doesn't matter, but it, yeah, the most important world building stuff is in the last five minutes as well as the post-credit scenes. So it's, it's just kind of a disappointing flap from a studio that had a pretty good market quality. And this is sort of the double-edged sword of it. When you have an in-house assembly line style, you never achieve greatness, but you never have anything that really goes off the rails because you don't have the opportunity to really mess up. And I'm worried that this will be the sign that their takeaways from this won't be anything constructive. It'll just be, we need more control. We need more cameos from recognizable characters. We need less dialogue. I hope that's not what they take away from this, but yeah, do not recommend didn't hate it as much as Melvin, obviously, but I still can't recommend it. Yeah. I, yeah. What's funny though, is when we were leaving, my wife is like, you can have Halloween kills. I get Eternals. <laughs> Cause she was like, I don't know. It was kind of interesting. I had an okay time with it. It reminded me a lot of Homestuck and that's really cool. It and reminded then, me a lot of Homestuck. Isn't that cute? But that's what a poster <laughs> quote. Oh my gosh. Um, and because uh, of all the names and everything and having their powers. Oh, but okay. then like we're going to bed and like I'm trying to fall asleep 
and Kat's just talking about how the movie's bad. <laughs> and mm. I'm like, I don't think you like the movie, honey. <laughs> so whatever. That's fine. I definitely thought it was better than Halloween Kills. Yeah, I thought Halloween that. Kills was more, more fun. Also, Big John, Little John. That Those, those two <laughs> characters had way more value than this entire movie had. Characters. This movie had much better queer representation. Halloween Kills had much better queer representation than Eternals. I would agree, I'd definitely agree with that. <laughs> At least it was more fun. What do you have to recommend for this uh, for this wonderfully long episode? Oh my gosh! So my my Bible commentary recommendation is going to be one that I have enthusiastically been using. As you know, I'm a big fan of budget friendly commentaries. Where rather than spending fifty to eighty dollars for one commentary, I think it's better to just carefully select commentaries. And so, the Holman Old Testament commentary set. They also have the Holman New Testament commentary set. Are pretty inexpensive commentaries. And if you go through and listen to the authors, there's no one really notable except the Psalms commentaries were written by Dr. Stephen J. Lawson, who is a huge figure in Reformed theology circles. And he's a wonderful pastor and a great commentator. And he wrote a two-part Psalms commentary for the Holman Old Testament series. And his commentary insights are sharp and really academic, but easily understandable. But the thing that really sets the Holman Old Testament commentary set apart is the formatting, which if you've listened to our episodes and recommendations, you know that I'm a big nerd when it comes to the way they format commentaries. And man, oh man, does Holman format them great. It First, it is a verse-by-verse expositional commentary. So that's uh, hit number one. The other thing, though, is each psalm, and I'm sure this is standard for the whole set, Steve Lawson puts forward a big idea. So he follows uh, Haddon Robinson's um, preaching methodology. And then he has, he sums up three different supporting ideas or however some ideas or each Psalm support his big idea. He also has a teaching outline an application section and discussion questions in each section of the commentary. So in theory, if you wake up your alarm didn't go off, you have 10 minutes to prepare for a sermon. You could just grab this commentary and come cobble together a sermon easily. Uh, Cause the whole outline, everything's there. But for me, he's, he's using it for teaching a young adult series. It's been invaluable for not just formatting my lessons, but thinking up discussion questions and points of focus for, you know, so that it's become kind of my backbone commentary where I use it to form my outlines and stuff and then use other commentaries to come up with different ideas or discussion points. But it's just a wonderful commentary all around. It's uh it's, there's it's two volumes for his psalms uh but yeah dr stephen lawson's psalms commentaries from the holman old testament commentary series i'm gonna recommend jack stober's opal from last year came out like just after christmas have you watched this little short great that is a great halloween short film yeah it's fantastic uh i know it's post halloween um but he he released it within the holiday season last year so i think it's valid to still recommend around this time uh, it's a and Jack Stober is known for doing like shorts, shorts slash music, musical shorts sometimes, mostly musical short definitely that are claymation. <laughs> yeah. And they're a really bizarre kind of unsettling form of claymation where it feels just right, but just wrong at the same time. They're always really cute and endearing at the same time as having like one or two things wrong, which is kind of like how memories work anyway, where like you remember these wonderful moments, but something doesn't feel quite right because you're so far away removed from it. And uh, Jack Stober's Opal is about a young girl who goes and adventures into a house across the street. And it's kind of this like nightmarish land where three people within the house kind of sing about things that they want, things that they can't have, and uh, things that keep them from getting where they want to be. It's if Eternals is (laughs) 
If Eternals is trying to talk about way too many things very poorly, Opal talks about very few things incredibly well in a very artistic and creative manner that begs you to just sort of meditate on it with the, but, but like what kind of makes Stober's work really fun is that he's just an amazing musician where he makes these songs that will get stuck in your head. But when you sing the lyrics, you start to feel uncomfortable, but because you can't stop thinking about it and singing it and it's stuck in your head with this wonderful melody, it helps you process it more. And Opal, when I first watched it, was like, it was a little too unsettling for me to be finding it enjoyable. And yet that exact thing happened. I kept thinking about it, singing it in my head, the little like, we see you, Opal, your problems are miles away. And you keep singing and you're thinking about it. And then it starts to settle. And then you're just like, wow, this was fantastic. Um, It's it is if you were just sort of itching for something this month uh, to get you thinking about things that matter and what you want and perhaps how you can get what you want in a way that's healthy because a lot of what Opal is is what you want and then not participating or helping others get what they want and how that can help you all coalesce to to becoming better people, uh, then Opal will be more valuable to you in 13 minutes. Then Eternals will be for you in two hours and 37 minutes. So check out Opal. It's on HBO Max, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Uh, I know HBO Max sort of condensed their Adult Swim selection for some reason. It was way bigger like a couple months ago. But yeah, yeah, pretty sure Opal's still on there. If it is, I'll have a link to it. So check it out. And I would love to talk about it on the podcast at some point. I know we have. I don't know if we could do a whole episode, but. Yeah, our Let's Talks are probably more value, more, more. A uh, better opportunity for that to talk about Adult Swim shorts and sort of that creative world, but yeah, check out check out Opal. Yeah, I'll just say like Opal was uh, the second thing I watched on HBO Max. I got it to watch Kong versus Godzilla, and it was just one of the recommended things. And so my wife and I watched it. And a running thing on the show is I keep mentioning like, oh yeah, I didn't think I was like I didn't think Candyman was scary at all. I didn't find I. Not a single horror film we've talked about. If I said anything remotely scary, Opal is genuinely creepy. Like I thought, it, I found it very unsettling and unnerving. And but it's also so strangely charming. And my favorite song and is really the dad, sad. The dad who's watching television and he's talking about why they make it so look so easy on TV, so easy That's to song. breathe. How yeah, so easy they to make breathe. it so easy to look. Yeah, it's it's so cat. It's a very catchy number, but yeah. it is very sad. But it is 13 minutes. It packs a punch. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's generally very creepy. So, yeah, I I second your recommendation. Nice. What what, what is that second recommendation? Your fun recommendation? No, no, so no. we're just putting Opal up twice. Opal is not very fun. So, <laughs> what's your fun recommendation? <laughs> so I've previous. I have talked. I this will be my third time mentioning Inside Job on the show, uh, but more in relation to the fact that. Yeah, maybe I felt a little guilty about recommending an animated show that is so transgressive in some of its material. So I'm going to recommend an animated show that is for adults, but is relatively wholesome. It's on Hulu right now. It's called Poorly Drawn Lines. It is adult in the sense that characters say naughty words, but uh, the comedy is very weirdly understated it's based on a popular web comic if you follow any meme pages or on twitter or instagram or anything like that you've definitely seen these comics they're sort of minimalistic comics that have a kind of surreal sense of humor but it's like most of the characters are anthropomorphized animals 
they like the first episode deals with there's to sort of sum up the sense of humor of the show there's a someone was eating cookies in the bathroom and so it caused a giant like alien monster to show up and they're just kind of like oh man we gotta clean the bathroom you know and that's just how they talk about it because there's <laughs> there's a monster uh, destroying everything and you will immediately recognize all the voice actors ron funches is in it the guy who voices frylock and aqua teen hunger voice voices a cat um janet from the good place voices the uh the friend of the main character who's a bear who is voiced by flash thompson from the spider-man movies but you would not recognize his voice right away so it's all-star voice cast of the who's who of animation like h john benjamin shows up for an episode that sort of thing it's really funny it's really surreal and it definitely has a very i will say modern comedy sensibility to it but all their adventures revolve around things like waiting in line for coffee uh they're it's it's very modern in the sense like all the characters are all of them are just roommates together because that's just what people are in our age demographic how they live now it's really funny the episodes are only 15 minutes each nice so it's a sort of an easy watch i think there's only six or seven episodes on hulu right now uh poorly drawn lines i recommend it thanks so much for checking out this episode of cinematic doctrine If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once a month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.